Podcast One. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. Well, a month or so ago, Andrew McMullen, the Commonwealth Bank's Chief Analytics Officer, AI and Maths Superhero, and okay, they're my words coming from someone working off a very low base. Andrew was on on this podcast talking about how an AI-powered initiative at the bank called the Customer Engagement Engine was changing everything at the bank, literally. In that conversation, Andrew dipped the hat to the Commonwealth Bank's Chief Marketing Officer, Monique McLeod, who I quote, has been driving this from the very get-go and now her team is pushing us even further in terms of personalization. They want to go further, faster. So today we have Monique McLeod on the mics to talk about two important themes, her views on the current state of art and science in marketing. Monique has just overseen the fifth identity overhaul of the bank in its 108-year history and has shifted the tone of the bank's post-Royal Commission messaging to a, dare I say it, less rational and slightly more emotive or optimistic sensibility. And by the sounds of it, Monique has been at the centre of a company-wide drive to improve its data-led customer experience and personalisation strategy. What most leading commentators, I think, say is one of the more important new capabilities for next generation marketers. So welcome, Monique, and sorry for the huge setup. Monique, we'll get to your take on marketing's role in data, customer experience, personalization, and AI shortly, but first to the bank's new visuals and tone. I was actually an adult in 1991 uh, when we saw the new black tip diamond logo launch from the ComBank. That's been slightly tweaked. Gold is the new black, and you've gone from can to can lives here. What's going on? and why now? And welcome. Thank you. Thanks, Paul. And uh, great to be here to talk to you. Um, yes, look, it's not, as you've seen, as you've said, it's 30 years since um, we last updated the brand identity. You know, we've had a, a challenging few years post-Royal Commission. So a lot of work's been going into changing as an organisation and making sure that we can show up in service of our customers in a, in a better way. Over that period, we've learnt a lot about reputation and what we needed to do to be better and what we still need to do to continue to work on that. So we've done a lot of change, but this year in particular with COVID has really allowed us to show up in service of our customers in a way that you know, it has, is really at the heart of why we're here and get back to more of our purpose of really helping people improve their financial well-being. So it's, it's kind of been this combination of the reputation journey of the last few years as well as the more acute challenges that uh, we're all facing uh, in 2020. Um, and so what we've found is that um, through a lot of customer research and feedback and understanding what's going on for people is um, they really started to see the bank in a new light. So working on um, the identity was one of the ways that we could show that shift that we've made. And, you know, we call it evolution, not revolution. We've still got the diamond, uh, but as you said, you called it the black tip. A lot of people have called it the Vegemite on the cracker. There's a number of names that it's been given. But, uh, yeah, it's it's an evolution. And um, it's really based on this idea of how we can really think about a brighter tomorrow. Yes, and we'll get to that in a sec. Was COVID the trigger for this, or was this already being thought about and and, and developed pre-COVID, this this redesign? No, it's it's, it's a really great question, Paul. Um, We have been thinking about it for a while, but what we've known and what we've learnt um, is that 
as you know, many people will know, is what you do and what you say and promise in your brand positioning communications has to align with delivery. And uh, you know, that's an age-old uh, thing for marketers. And so we've always wanted to do an update and, to your point, move from a kind of more rational stance to a more emotive one, but we had to get the, the tone and the timing right. So I think COVID helped us really solidify that, if that makes sense. Now let's go to the tone because, I mean, you, you have signalled that the bank's tone is shifting as well as its visual identity. I think you've called it. Um, I think in the Fin, in a story in the Fin, an interview you did with the Fin Review, you talked called about you talked about measured optimism. Um, and is that now what you're picking up in the public mood? Is that is what's coming through? And that would have been, I imagine, mid to late COVID, like recent COVID rather than early COVID. But that measured optimism you're talking about, talk us through that. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're absolutely right in terms of timing. Um, uh, but we know the great thing about Australians is. Australian psyche and spirit is that uh, we're actually quite good as a nation at really coming to grips with things and then and then bringing that brilliant Aussie attitude to the fore, which is actually about you know call spade a spade, it is what it is. Now, how are we actually going to get on and face this and you know lean into the challenges that lie ahead? And I think you're right. Early days of COVID, there's an enormous amount of uncertainty, and particularly in our industry, when you think about um, uh, the effect uh, that can have on people's financial lives and you know their livelihood and therefore um, uh, their, their life as such as they know it. Um, it's a really critical thing for us to be able to say, okay, right, well, how can we actually help you through this, and how can we get on and look forward and build a plan and a path forward because nobody wants to sit in that degree of uncertainty for too long. You actually want to deal with your surroundings and your circumstances, something shifted. So that's really shown up for us in a lot of our um, understanding of where customers are at, which is it's not that they're not accepting of the situation and what's coming and potentially and some of the challenges we'll still face into, but they're actually saying, I get it, but actually help me find the way forward and, and give us some of that optimism and hope and understanding of a way through this. And is that coming from your customer base and uh, non-customers? Is that sort of right across the board? And how many people do you talk to in, 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 yeah. in, in this sort of development? Yeah, look, we're, we, we're very fortunate in the sense that we're able to do um, some pretty robust research through a number of different programs. So we have our own you know, proprietary study where we're in market every single week and uh, of the year. And so we've got some good volumes behind that. But during COVID, we also bought into a num number of other syndicated studies that were out of market. So we do have a view of our customer base as well as um, the market more broadly. And, um, you know, and as I said, I think the, the, the feedback's been loud and clear that, um, that, that now is the time for organisations and ours is, you know, part of that to kind of really lean in and step up and say, how are we going to help through this? So CAN lives here is your sort of tagline. That's an extension of CAN, which is, again, I mean, it's, mm. it's optimistic, I guess, yes. in, its, in its, you know, in it its was, what, 2012? Mm. 2012. Um, so CAN lives here is an extension of that. Why? Mm. What's that about? So, um, as you can imagine, Paul, post the last few years, we, we did a lot of soul searching around whether as a position for the brand we should uh, maintain it, whether, uh, you know, how does it, how is it working, what equity has it got, um, how do people feel about it? And um, particularly with some of those challenges of, as we've talked about, it was like, is that associated with the past and do we need to move forward? Um, and this is where I think brands really come to the fore is, you know, consumers are very clear on what they're able to feed back because obviously brands live in, their hearts and minds and uh, and their memories and um, it was very strong view that actually a lot of equity, uh, very, very strong awareness, um, so from a sheer kind of um, value that it adds to, to, the, to the business, there was a lot there, but most importantly, 
um, customers were saying what they love about it is that it has this sense of optimism um, and they're actually just saying we want more of that. We don't want you to move away from that. We actually want you to lean in harder to it. But the lives here is really, I think, the evolutionary part, which was can in its inception was very, again, very much about at that time, I think, you know, some of the headlines where we were talking ourselves into a recession and people wanted optimism and a way forward and, and, and here we go to again. think positively <laughs> and here we go again. It's a cycle. That's exactly right. But the difference for us is a lot of that started off as ComBank can and being, ComBank being the enabler of that. Whereas can lives here is, is really the evolution to, it's actually almost like giving it back to the people. It's more about it lives in, you know, not only our people, it lives in our customers, it actually lives in our community. So it's, it's kind of trying to really acknowledge that that spirit's far more embedded uh, in the country at that level. That's what we actually need to do in terms of the, you know, recovery and where we're going. Really, at the end of the day, that's, you've got to, you dig, you know, you're really looking for that deeper connection. And so we did a lot of exploratory work in a lot of different lines, but, um, they're on the cutting room floor. Now, we're about to explore some the new capabilities in marketing needed for better customer experience. But first, your thoughts on brand and communications. I think you're, you were a very – well, firstly, you've had a long career in marketing and, and, and agencies and, and the whole thing. Uh, I think you were a very early fan uh, of the work of Benet and Field um, on the merits of – sort of long and short, long-term brand investment and the difficulties with that and, and the, the rise of shorter term. Now, obviously, it's gone crazy in the last two years. Everyone's talking about every market is sort of trying to work out what the ratios are and how they do it. Um, industry awareness has gone through gone through the, uh, through the roof in terms of um, all the discussion. But where does it all that sit with you now? I remember sitting maybe five, six years ago somewhere in a presentation about this and you were going, this is good, this is good, this is good, love it. But that was six years ago. Yeah. Where does it sit with you now, this whole brand, long long-term, short-term, um, and how does it inform you or does it inform your own strategy? Yeah, it's a great perspective. I, I have to say outright I'm still a believer, so I'll put that on the table and it does inform our strategy and we do actually measure a lot of those ratios. So, But I'll, just to, I'll, I'll go back a little bit because you're right, we've been um, looking at uh, those principles for quite some time now and I think for me one of the things that's really important is to think about how you practically apply them in the business and what do you learn as a result. So um, back to your point, Paul, we, you know, I can think about back to 2016-17, we had probably shifted a little bit, shifted some of that view around uh, moving, you know, X percent of our budget to digital and more so, we were probably becoming a bit more short term in nature and we saw activation messaging and um, we saw the impact in terms of, uh, you know, real top of the funnel activity around the brand and I think particularly for us as a really big brand, you know, we can genuinely say we, we saw at work some of those downside impacts that Bay and Field talk about. So we've had good reason to, to implement some of those strategies and what I would say is like any good marketer should do, you've got to constantly test and challenge your own strategies and beliefs around what's evolving. But at this point in time, I would still say getting that balance right is something we continually work on. Now, we don't go as far as what they recommend around financial services category. Um, are they, what are they? They've gone so far, so far as to say 80-20, so we're not, not that far. Um, but, uh, you know, 70-30 is a good, a good place if we can kind of aim to, to be there. So we do, we do apply it. You know, it's a good input. Let's just, just talk about that. So, you know, from probably 2000, 
and 13, 14 through to pretty much what you're talking about, 16, 17, maybe 18, um, there was a real shift, wasn't there, to digital and it was partly to do with the metrics, it was partly to do the, you know, be able to see real time what yeah. was going on without yeah. necessarily long term. So, you know, was that a necessary, was that a necessary learning phase for the marketing industry per se? Everyone had to, you had to experience it or could it have, did we get carried away? I think we, I think we needed to experience it. But I think what was important certainly for us is to how can you really quickly have your eye on the the opposing views so that you could then challenge and test and learn um, as we were making those shifts and changes. So it wasn't too hard for us to pull back relatively quickly when we saw some of the, the, the you know, a little bit of some of the decline in some of the areas. So I think for me it's all about how do you have the right things at your disposal and the right levers so that you can make those changes and pull back where necessary and ensure that you're continuing to, to make the metrics go in the right direction. So brand performance, the temptation, of course, is to drive you know um, lots of uh, action and response from, from either prospects or customers um, in short term. In terms of the channel mix that you're, you're sort of playing with now versus three or four years ago, can you build brand in digital? Is brand still legacy, better for legacy media? What's your yeah. views on all that? I think, um, again, I'll, I'll preface this with, I think it's different for different organisations also depending on audience size, scale of brand, etc. But for a brand like ours where we do have a um, very, very large customer base, um, it might sound like a bit of a cop-out, but we need to do all of it still. So, uh, you know, we need the traditional channel still. I feel very confident about that. But we also need to be pushing as hard as we can into utilising, um, you know, the digital and the online world to look to build brand and to look to do all those things. So in my mind, it's a, how do you evolve in the channels that you're using in the right way as we start to see the evolution of those channels themselves? Because to your point, I think there's been different views over the last couple of years about whether you, how do you do and measure well brand building and social channels versus just using it for bottom of funnel activity. So um, I think it's about making sure, so for us, we need the traditional channels still, but at the same time, we need to ensure that we're actually maximising um, our objectives in all the channels that we're utilising. And again, our, our mix changed quite a lot over the last couple of years. So if you think about post-royal commission activity as well, we had a big program um, where we were putting to market um, actions that were taken to be better at 48 weeks of the year, and we you know, had a relatively heavy print schedule as a part of that, So, but it was objective-based. In, in the last couple of years then, what happened to your to your messaging? It was mm -hmm. got, got very it got very practical, I guess. It did, yeah, completely. Um, which was really about, uh, as I said, you know, making sure we understood what customers wanted to hear from us. And um, a lot of that was about you need to demonstrate that you're changing. And it was really important that we did, uh, to be honest. And so um, at that point in time, people didn't want to hear emotive messages from us. They, they wanted real rational proof. And um, they wanted to know that we were committed to change. Um, and this is how it was showing up in service of them. And so for us, I think that was so important. So it was far more about what are they experiencing, first and foremost, 
and then also from the experience it was about how we're actually communicating the things that we're doing if they haven't experienced them yet so they can get a real feel for how we've shifted. Now to your colleague Andrew McMullen now uh, on data analytics personalization and customer experience that man I have to say is a freak in that you know his understanding of getting down on the data the real granular stuff it was a fascinating conversation I had mainly because he's just way above my pay grade right so I, but at the same time you know he, he, he really gave the, the marketing team a wrap and said you've been central to this so I'm, I'm, I'm really interested um, to get your perspective on how all of those all that data analytics the personalization the customer experience stuff how this has changed the remit the role and capabilities of marketing at the bank at Combank um, what is different now in what you do on a weekly basis versus what a marketer might have done five or seven years ago what you were doing five six seven years ago but to talk us through that personalization and data and AI stuff that uh, allegedly you're central to Monique McLeod <laughs> Well, um, first of all, I think uh, I love the way you started this conversation, which was you're talking about the art and science of marketing. I think hopefully between Andrew, I certainly know which role I play between the two of us, but we're a very good combination. Um, We're incredibly fortunate to have Andrew. But for us, what has really shifted is when you think about bringing back to that question of what are people doing day to day that I think is really different, without a doubt, trying to get into understanding data and, and the insights and what we can do about them has been incredi- you know, incredibly powerful. So I think the, the team um, for us as marketers really lining up with Andrew's team and, and, and whilst we're talking those two different teams, the reason why I think it's so important he referenced us is because we do work together as one, but it's very much around um, how do we see and identify the right opportunities because the tech and the capability has been put there, as Andrew said, which is phenomenal. But how do we see and identify those right opportunities and then execute against them in a way that is, as he talked about, highly relevant, as engaging as it can be, and very much with a test and learn mindset and attitude? Do you know what I mean? Because I think one of the things of the past is, you know, we, we would love spending time doing annual and quarterly plans and think about, uh, you know, the customer life cycle and really kind of understand where our key challenges and what we wanted to do. Um, great, uh, great theory and, and, and practice, but that would have been a, a kind of waterfall process in the past. You know, old school style, kind of it's still the same principles that you bring into life, but the way to operate when you're sitting around now, the, you know, teams kind of sitting together in a scrum with all of the, like we, like say, so all of the kind of stools of the, that come together that, um, you know, across digital and across marketing and across Andrew's team. Who's, by the way, in case we haven't said, is the Chief uh, Commonwealth Bank's Chief uh, Analytics Officer, by the way. Right. Yes. So, the teams can come together and then actually say, okay, well, on a, on a, not only a macro, but also a micro level, what are, what is it that we need to be deploying against certain segments, audiences, things that we need to get done? What are the opportunities we can see with customers? And how do you deploy multi-channel activity that's highly personalized and relevant? So it's a, different rhythm and way of operating. So you still have your big, you know, your big strategic kind of broad overarching customer strategy that you want to drive, but um, the way that the term, teams work together and integrate is completely different to what years ago. This has been the criticism, um, I guess, for for a while now of, of marketing is that it's it's very comms focused communications and, and, uh, and you know, some of the other down customer experience stuff has moved to other parts of the, uh, particularly other parts and other, other disciplines in the business. Um, you seem to have got both happening, um, you know, with what you're doing under your remit and getting getting it seemingly right. You know, you've got the hard data-led 
analytics-driven mm. um, strategy and insights that drive your, your messaging, your communications, your offers and, and so mm. forth, and you've still got your, your comms stuff. That's still, what, what do you make of that argument that marketing still comms, not, not, not deepen, yeah. deepen the business and customer? Yeah. Look, I think it does depend on the organisation. And at the end of the day, um, you know, Andrew mentioned this as well, it's about the people and it's about if you get the right people together with the right mindset, anybody can come up with good ideas and the answer doesn't have to be a comms answer or an experience answer. You're trying to solve customer needs. And I think that's where, um, you know, Andrew's brilliant in and of himself because he, he not only has that amazing brain around the analytics and, and um, all the modeling, the AI and what we can do, but he can also just sit there and talk really easily about, well, we can see this group of customers and, wow, wouldn't it be really helpful if we just did X, Y, and Z for them and told them this? So he's as great at the art side of it, um, but it's based in what we're seeing and what we understand. So I think it's about saying it's not one or the other. It's about saying um, how do we, if you put your customers first and we say through the data and the insights, what are the opportunities that it's providing us to fix problems, solve needs, and bring better value to them, whether that's a communication solve or whether it's actually an experience solve or whether whatever that might be, it, it shouldn't be limited. So I think, and so I think it's the mindset of the group that come together on it. I mean, it's it's, it's interesting. Like that you've got your technology stack, if you like, seems to be like Combank's got it sorted. Um, in terms of the the AI, the the, the, the pipes, the data, the all the analytics and so forth. That's so much of a, 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 a still a struggle for many for many companies and and marketers and beyond, right? Yeah. So you've got that bit sorted, and now you can start sort of getting the insights out of it. That's the trick there. It, it is. I will say though, um, what I think we have sort of really well, which is what Andrew talked about, which is basically the customer engagement engine and so the real decisioning engine and yes, that's multi-channel and you know that's working incredibly well. Where I still think there is opportunity um, is just how that then expands to uh, more of the media universe. So for example, you know, Andrew and I are talking at the moment about how do we actually um, uh, contemplate um, attaching Pega, when we talk about yes, Pega as yes, being the, the decision, big, the, the decision the engine. engine yes. So they, they now have a, a module around uh, Pega Media, which is about how we plug in our programmatic media buying and make that a really kind of efficient way. So I think what I've certainly learned over time, Paul, is that your tech's never sorted. Yeah, right. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah, You're yeah. continually evolving it based on what you want to do and where you want to go. And there's still a lot that we need to do around the periphery to make it easier for marketers. Um, if you think about you know, serving up, you know, contextually relevant, uh, multivariant, you know, creative assets. How do you do that, you know, kind of really well and really well automa- automated? See, that was, that was way above my pay grade as well. So you're talking there about, um, is that dynamic, dynamic creative? creative. Yeah, okay, absolutely. Sure. I'm with you. I'm yeah, no, 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 absolutely. <laughs> so it's just, I, I think there's always more that we can do. So we've not got the whole thing sorted, but we've got the, the vast majority. And then it's just how do you continue to improve the tech stack to make markers' lives easy? Before we get to the to where I want to go about what the Combank's doing in terms of in-housing and, and how you use outside partners, I guess the, the, the question there is what does all this mean for, for talent? Um, what are you looking for today in your marketing team? And I'd love to sort of get your thoughts on swim lanes because everyone, if you're in search internally in the bank, you know, I'm, I'm, I think, are you internal? Do you run your mm-hmm. search internally? So if you're, I mean, this is a no, no reflection on your team, but I'd imagine if, if you're in search, search is a universe. Search is the answer to everything or all you're thinking about is search. If you're in mm-hmm. social, the same. If you're in mainstream media, it's the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. If you're in communications, mm-hmm. um, then we may think that comms is the answer. So the swim lanes sometimes... 
um, sort of uh, keep the narrowness uh, and not the sort of the universal view on things. What are you looking for now um, in, certain, in terms of the talent and the capabilities? Yeah. And what do they need in terms of the visibility beyond their own, um, you know, discipline? Yeah, it's a great question, Paul. And I think what I would say is um, you're right. We are seeing a real need for specialists in fields. Um, and I think that is because with the fragmentation of media, if we just think, just think about that um, in and of itself and the way that channels operate differently and you need a deep understanding, um, I've, I think we've seen more specialism come into play. So what I would say is you do look for that in people because I think it's important and it's, it's the way you need to be able to compete and stay ahead. But the addition that I would say is um, the, the most important thing for us is when we look at uh, people capability, it's around what's the mindset that they've got? Have they got a growth mindset? And we're talking a little bit about that um, in the business because what we find is that if you can bring that growth mindset and you're very open, then even if you're in a specialist field, you, you really do have the ability to traverse quite easily and you're also very open to it. You don't want to become wedded into, you know, you want to be able to say, I want to do these career rotations and I want to jump across the organisation um, because you're very open. You're very very open in your thinking and you know at the end of the day if you know some of those foundational principles of what marketers understand around um, measurement and performance and insights and creativity you know they just vary by um, by discipline or by channel that you're looking at but if you can keep an open mind and move around those then you get that kind of much broader perspective and you can work more efficiently across internally across the digital teams and, the, you know, with the analysts and everything else. Not at the Combank, of course, because mm -hmm. all your team will be bang on, but typically if you yeah. were to think outside the Combank, yeah. what, what percentage of a team would typically be like that? You know, I think about, you know, yeah. the journalists and, and, and sort of the editorial teams that I've worked with over the years, and it's low on journos, right? So essentially what I, my translation of that is curiosity. If you've yeah. got, you got an underlying curiosity, it drives a whole bunch of talent and everything yeah. you need. Now, even for journalists, it's, it's ironic that probably it's sitting at 10 yeah. to 15, you know, yeah. true curiosity yeah. where it's 10 to 15, 20% at best, yeah. right? Um, so what would you think it is in marketing yeah. outside the Combank? Yeah, yeah. yeah, no, 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 look, you're, you're right. Um, I, I think, I don't know if I could put a number specifically on it, but you're right, it's not the majority because human nature kind of keeps us in the sometimes more of a fixed mindset by nature. And, I, and you're right, you've got, you need critical thinkers and all of those things as well, but you've got to get the balance right. So it's not, it's, you know, it's not a kind of a 50% type thing, but if you've got enough people there, they're the ones who can drive change and who can also be the, be the people in the team who help others see. Because it doesn't necessarily mean you're always going to have everybody operating from that place, but they just need to be able to see what's possible and follow leaders who can actually create that and open those doors. So, you know, in an ideal world, would you want 30, 40% something? Sure, absolutely. But I think what I notice is when it, it's a void of, when there's a void of that, and if you end up with lots of specialists who um, are happy to just completely stay in that swim lane, um, then it, that can be a challenge because you need to, you know, you want for your people as well. They, you know, I always think about the, the team and they all want career progression as well. They want to learn new skills and new capabilities. So how do we have enough people on the team who really have that open, open mind and have a growth mindset and can kind of allow... Uh, the the team to you know kind How of many people follow on that. the team by the way what is it what is it's about, about two hundred crikey um it's a fair size 
thing to keep control of or manage mm. well, I guess this might be a bit, yeah. better way to put it. Um, so you did mention before, we talked about the specialists mm. and, the, and the internal capabilities. Um, you've got search inside. Mm. Um, what's your mm. view on agencies, Monique, uh, mm. in housing versus outside partners? Um, you've got a really interesting perspective because you've been on both sides of the fence. Mm. Um, the bank was a very early innovator in all this. I remember maybe, must be mm. 15 years ago, mm. um, mm. you did some mm. interesting things to bankroll a media agency, yeah. I think, um, right. Icon, Icon. Right? Yeah. And that was way, way back. Yeah. Um, and you did some other things as well yeah. back then, or the ComBank did. Um, that was quite early um, in how it managed media and some of the other sort of digital capabilities. What um, what does that look like for you now? Mm. What is the internal mm. resource? What's the external? There's been lots mm. of talk about in-housing. There's mm-hmm. lots of talks about whether you can do that or keep it and do it well, keep mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. Um, your take? Yeah, I think um, a bit of both is the, is the short answer. So in-house at the moment, as you mentioned, we do a fair bit of our own uh, media activity in-house and creative as well. So we've mm. got, uh, got a creative studio there as I think many people are moving towards. I think it, for me, it's about there's always going to be a role for both. And depending on how you use it, you've just got to define, got to define it well and make sure you um, stay within that remit so you can try and uh, get the best value from both parts of the equation. So, I, you know, I fundamentally believe that um, I, I like will always like having external agencies because I do think the reality is that as a you know, financial services organisation, as much as we can make the creative studio that we've got appealing, we're not necessarily going to get the top talent in the market and I don't think we're best placed to do that. So I always think there's a role for external um, agencies and you know, value them highly. Um, but at the same time, I also know from an efficiency, um, from a cost-effective point of view, and also just from a, you know, a, a desire to be able able to have and grow our own people in that space, um, there's plenty of room for us to do work there as well internally. And um, and I think, you know, it, it does allow, uh, you know, greater proximity sometimes in terms of the content work that you're doing or what you're pushing out to market. So I think you want both and you just, I've heard, you know, the war stories that I've heard around where it doesn't go right is often um, where you get scope creep. You know, right. on whichever side of that equation. And I think you just have to, you know, we're having a discussion internally at the moment about just reconfirming, you know, what is it that we really want the true remit and scope to be um, and making sure that we, we always... For the internal for team. The internal team right. Exactly. And just making sure that we stay true to that. Um, or if you do want to expand it or step out of it, you, you're very thoughtful about why and what that then means. So um, so short answers, I think there's a role for both. Yeah, and so so media, you talked yes. about interestingly with, with, with um, PEGA or PEGA, PEGA. PEGA mm-hmm. Systems, which is um, the decisioning stuff you talk about and media. Mm-hmm. So uh, what happens there in terms of you've got your digital media inside? Okay. Mm-hmm. And so, so that's going to continue happy with that and, yeah. and basically PEGA will start coming into that as well. That's it? right, exactly right. And I think from our perspective, when you think about... Um, some of the data requirements, it's obviously very easy and beneficial for us to be doing um, a large part of that internally. And you're right, as we look at the tech stack and how that rolls out, um, we need to be in our own environment. But again, I would say um, you made the comment about um, you know Icon many years ago. We still work with Icon today, and, and in fact, um, uh, Pat Crowley, who's uh, who, you know lovely gentleman, he's a legacy in himself. He's isn't a legacy he, right? in himself. He's absolutely, but he's um, he's worked on our business for 18 years now, there which, you go, right. which I think is probably one of the longest in the industry, to yeah. be honest. 
Um, very, very good understanding. But I think there's there's always, again, on the media side, going to be value in um, an external view. You know, you want constructive challenge. You want people who know your business. You want people who have the relationships in the in the media world in the industry that are different to the ones that we will have. Do you know what I mean? Because I think I think for me, if you if you know, there's value in that in and of itself. Yeah. So yeah, so I do see it's just I think the line. I, I think there's room for both. I think the line shifts depend on shifting, you know, depending on your the nature of your business and how much you want to take on internally and what the focus is. Surprise question for you, um, you'd expect it from me, mm-hmm. um, is what do you make of the, the, the current conversation and debate around big tech and regulatory stuff here, mm-hmm. um, the, the, the sort of the social stuff that's going, not the social mm-hmm. platforms per se, but the, mm-hmm. the impact around democracy, all that stuff, which of course I bring to the table because the advertising industry obviously underwrites a lot of those big tech platforms that's been, and so there is a... And, you know, possibly a trickle-down um, implication for, for advertising like, uh, you know, supply chain and corporate social, you know, responsibility yeah. and all those things. Yeah. Got any thoughts on that? And yeah. you say McIntyre. Yeah, too, no, no, no. Look, I, look, I think um, I think it's hard, you know, watching uh, with lots of interest. I think I would say hard to hard to predict exactly what's going to happen. But what I would say is I think over the next 12 months we're going to see a lot of change, I think, um, in this side of the business for us. And I think there's going to be a lot of an- unanswered questions at the moment. So, a lot of question marks around data, challenges around data, uh, right? Absolutely. So I, I think that the more we can... The, I, I just think that the, the roadmap over the next year or two years around um, how the ecosystem's going to work, particularly around measurement um, in, the, in, this, in, the, in the world, is going to be very challenging. So, so when we think about what's going to happen, um, you know, post cookies being available, um, is everybody set up in the right way to, to truly be able to actually, you know, really use their data in the right way? Is, are there going to be privacy issues? Are there, you know, when we think about um, ourselves as an organisation, uh, how we actually kind of work directly with publishers? Um, what do, you know, how do, what kind of information are we happy to share as a result off the back of that? There's no one ecosystem that's going to work well post the cookie being removed and what's going to happen. So um, I think there's going to be a lot of movement. You're right. It's, it's going to be fascinating. It's, it's hard to keep up. It's, mm. it's really, it's quite extraordinary. Um, but a long time coming, by the way. I don't think the industry necessarily saw... We kind of we, we sort of turned a blind eye to uh, it'll come look up now it's coming at us at 100 miles an hour. Um, have you seen the social dilemma? I have. And what do you make of that? No, it scares me a little. I've got to say, mm. uh, particularly with two teenage girls. Mm. I just go back to first principles of everything's got to be done with moderation. And you know, my kind of response is there's an enormous amount of good. There can be bad actors as well. Um, and how do you kind of toe the line in the right way? You know, when it comes to to my kids and how I think about their future, they've got some really strict guardrails. Because I've got an eighteen year old and I failed miserably. Mm. Um, now it's good. Yeah. But it was early when everything was sort of bright eyed. Five six years ago, social media and mobile phones was all got to keep them got to keep them up to up to up to speed with the Joneses, and there was yeah. some, there was some difficulties around that. But you've got it sorted. I'm but we've got strict guardrails. Yeah. I get in trouble often from my from my girls and their friends because they're like, you know, you're really strict. Good. So, oh, that's yeah. good to hear. Um, we need more of that, by the way. Now, I'm going to leave you. I've got one more question. To wrap up, um, what's the three biggest priorities for you for 2021 and the three biggest challenges or considerations for your marketing industry peers next year? So that's there's about 5,000 <laughs> questions in there. But that's right. I'll try and do it simply. Well, yeah. break it down. Three biggest priorities for you for 2021. Mm-hmm. Great. I think... 
So what we're going to be you know, very, very focused on is um, thinking about where the recovery for Australia is going in the economy over the next 12 months. Um, we've got a really important role to play. So customer service, genuine customer service and helping people through this time is going to be number one priority. And that obviously relates to you know, our brand, trust, reputation, everything, but how we show up for our customers and more broadly, I think uh, Australia in general during this time is going to be critical. So that's really up there. I think as it relates to some of the changes we talked about, I'd say the tech solutions to enable the, to really kind of enable personalization and relevancy at scale that we talked about. So rounding that out and, and building out that uh, roadmap with Andrew will be really critical. And then I think thirdly, um, it always comes back to people. So, you know, really making sure that we have the right capabilities in the team, building the right opportunities for them to, to you know, have great careers at the bank. Um, uh, it just always remains high on the agenda. It's a big focus. Um, I've got to ask, so the breakup of, the, of your team in terms of 200, where, where does, where do they, what, what's the big areas, what's the biggest areas of, of where they sit, where those sure. people sit? Yeah, so without going through all the splits, probably the largest team is probably the one that looks after the consumer, consumer side, so the retail bank. Is probably is, is about 70 odd there, and then we've got so we've got the retail bank, we've got the business bank, which is small business right through to institutional. Um, then we actually have our brand and social team, and we have our marketing services team, which is basically look all of our in-house studio media buying, um, you know, ops, everything that sits together, and then we have our customer strategy and insights team. So the rest are kind of spread, you know, around 30s or 40s across, you know, some of those. And the retail so. bank, is, is that is that their capabilities across all that? Are they duplicated or are they, you know, when you talked about social and search being another area, they feed into the retail bank um, yeah. team? Yeah, that's right. So, so they're connected. So the retail bank are really thinking about um, not only, you know, servicing around big product lines, so doing all of the mid-funnel through the, you know, acquisition activity, but they're also thinking about big customer programs that we've got as well. So... You know, um, as Andrew talked about, when we're thinking about Combank Rewards, which we've just launched in the app not long ago, driving um, digital adoption of the features in app. So, so they've got a, a customer as it relates to consumers, not businesses lens, um, as well as uh, making sure from a product point of view uh, that we're kind of, you know, well servicing those sides of the business. Tell you what's a really interesting segue, and I'm going to interrupt you, but it's an interesting segue. As you know, you've, you've sort of been on this um, show called Brandon um, on the couch, the CMO couch. And what was really interesting with all the CMOs, bar maybe one, and I can't remember whether we asked the question of you uh, in that series, but um, most of the marketers I asked, um, do, do you do you subscribe or are you in a loyalty program? And all of them pretty much said no. And it was a really interesting thing because there's a lot of people in loyalty programs, but but yeah. the, the but CMOs um, don't, they don't, for themselves personally, you know, there's, mm. there's a very small portion that were there. Um, so the loyalty program of the ComBank, clearly it's a, it's not targeting CMOs, otherwise it would be flop by the sounds of yeah, it. Yeah. What does that say? What does yeah. that mean? What do you, um, did, well, you, did I ask you that? No, you didn't. You didn't, Paul. Uh, so I am of a few, um, not, uh, but I think, and I would, I would imagine most of them are part of Qantas, frequent flyers. Right. Yes. But, uh, by way of example, however, um, I think we're probably selective, but... I think it's all about how how much do you love the brand and want to get involved or how simple and easy do you make it. So, you know, for me, for example, yes, Qantas Frequent Flyer, you know, I think I talked about, you know, I, I love Mecca, the brand, so they've got a beauty loop program, easy to be involved in because I love it. Um, Combank Rewards, for me, the, the bit that works is it's just so easy in app. So it's simple in app, 
um, go to your rewards and you can see where you can get a cashback discount off something and you just apply it straight away. So I think, again, it becomes the ease of use, uh, you know, and frequency and are you there and, and that's where I think there's, um, you know, probably a lot of people, sometimes people might be in or taking advantage of those reward programs more than they give it credit. Give credit. Yes, yes, a bit like yeah. advertising, I don't watch yeah. it, they say. Exactly. Um, okay, I've got to, I, I sort of took up, took up a garden path. Final part of the question, then we're going to leave you alone, Monique McLeod, is um, the, the three biggest challenges, or not even, the biggest challenges, um, considerations you think for your marketing industry peers next year in 2021. So just mm. the marketing industry generally, got yeah. any thoughts on that? Yeah. Look, I think there's um, the debate around measurement and the conversation that's coming back to you know, some of those principles that we talked about from uh, there's been a and Peter Field around, um, you know, share of voice, is it still relevant? Should it be share of search, share of social? I think I think that's going to be an area that the debate, you know, just continues to, to um, elevate in, which is a good debate. Um, be very interesting to see how the platforms respond to that. In terms of whether they step up and open up? Because open they're, up. they're pretty bloody guarded with everything, though. Those, yeah, those I, think, I think opening up. Right. You, you, is your money on that? Oh, I, I hope so. Yeah, nice, nice. That's a great tap dance. Well done. I don't. I'm not convinced that they will because it's it's their secret sauce. But um, they need if they, if it's if we're going to get to where you say we need to be, that needs to happen. Okay, so measurements one. Um, secondly, I, I think from people that I talk to, uh, finding the right tech solutions and knowing what good looks like as it relates to the full tech stack to enable what we want to achieve is a, is a challenge for many. Boy, isn't it? And it's live and still real despite, that's right. you know, it's, it's a really difficult thing to do, yeah. one, one that's troubling a lot of companies still. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think that, that will remain. I asked Andrew this too, by the way, and so, you, you know, you talked about having Pega and was it? H2O. H2O, I always get there, H2O yes. or whatever it is, yes. but, but the, the, the San Francisco AI company. And I asked him about, okay, so how does the other... Uh, the MarTech stack fit into that. Now, you're here, so I get to ask you, you know, when you think about where the action is, where the action is um, around uh, marketing automation, uh, customer experience, MarTech, um, the usual suspects come up from Salesforce and Adobe Mm -hmm. to um, uh, Oracle and so forth. How does all that fit into your your own customer engagement engine? What what are you putting over the top? Well, most of those ones that you mentioned have an instance of all of them. Right. So, so to be honest, um, we have some Google products, we have Salesforce products, we have some Adobe products. So, and we need to integrate them with Pega when we do that. So that's why I'm saying I think it's an ongoing challenge still around how everything will talk to each other and integrate well. I think there's still a lot more to be done there. Interoperability, is that what they Interoper- talk about? Interoperability, how, that's how a great one. Um, so uh, any more? Well, that's, so we've got measurement, we've got yes. tech stacks, yes. one more? For me it always comes down to, um, I, I, it comes back to the people because I think, and it's a simple answer, but the reality is um, we all want really great talent that we're growing. Um, and I, yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And I think in this, time frame, particularly when we think about the next 12 months, um, a lot of people, you know, very sadly, have um, have been stood down. And so 
I think it's going to be really important that we look after our own in the industry and also find ways and opportunities to allow people to kind of step in and help them grow and, think, and you know, kind of really support people through this time. So uh, that is really on our minds, I think, about the next 12 months or so. Morning, McLeod. I think we were talking earlier. I've, I've been trying to get you on the mics for 18 months since we launched MI3. Sorry, You've Paul. finally come good. Well done. Congratulations. <laughs> Just before Christmas, there's my Christmas present. Um, it's good to talk. Stay safe. And I'm sure we'll talk sometime next year. Thank yeah. you, Monique. Fabulous. Thanks, Paul, for having me. MI3 Audio Edition was presented by Paul McIntyre, that's moi, in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer Nick Slater, music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to podcastone.com.au or search MI3 Audio Edition on Apple Podcasts and hit the subscribe button.